Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning, everybody. A little cloudy looking out the windows of my studio in Fort Collins today. <clears throat> Karen and I just got in last night. We were uh, in California celebrating a little bit our anniversary and a little warm weather, although there wasn't as warm as we had hoped for out there, but it was nice. But it's good to be back. A lot going on here in the state, and we're going to talk about a lot of it. going to talk quite a bit of ice fishing today. Um, conditions are changing on the front range, and there's stuff in the mountains going on that's just going to be probably reliable for a while, but we'll keep you up to date on that. We're going to talk a good amount of fly fishing today, and later on in the show, we might also talk a little turkey hunting. You know, it's right around the corner, and boy, uh, we've worked with the folks at Colorado Clays to really figure out uh, shotguns, ammunition patterning for turkey hunting and we're going to start sharing a lot of that information again as we do every year and we get into this time right now let's go to the phones and joining us from the blue mesa area and gso fishing is andy cochran good morning andy hey good morning terry welcome back to colorado how are you doing <laughs> i'm doing well i heard it got uh, you sent me a text yesterday i got a little brisk there yeah, while you guys were out enjoying Mai Tais on the beach, we were over here, and I just had to remind you that where you live, it's a little colder. But the 24 <laughs> below yesterday did improve a little bit today. We're only 16 below this morning, so we're warming well, up. But, yeah, there you go. You almost can take your jacket off. Almost. <laughs> yeah. We're going to talk about the ice conditions and maybe some of the other things going on in your area. Um, before we get to the end, with this cold weather, there's going to be some favorable ice conditions for quite a while. We'll talk about that in a minute, but what's the status of Blue Mesa now? Is it frozen completely over? Yeah, we'll kind of just run through kind of our conditions up here at Blue Mesa for a little bit. Um, the whole lake is frozen. Uh, every area of the lake is accessible by four-wheeler or snowmobile or side-by-side. -side. They do have a 1200 pound weight limit so this lake you're not allowed to take full-size vehicles but any of your smaller stuff we can access anywhere we want to go now there's plenty of thick ice um one thing we wanted to mention there is we had a pretty good series of storms blow through here wednesday and thursday uh the snow accumulation wasn't very high here but we had a lot of really high wind and so it there's several access points like the Middle Bridge or the Bay of Chickens that did get quite a bit of drifting with all that snow. So just kind of be aware of that when you're accessing the lake from the shore in certain areas that you might want to walk ahead and make sure you're not going to get into a big drift before you just take your four-wheeler right down to the lake. Once you get on the lake, you're going to be fine, but some of the access areas got a little drifted up. Now, how much ice, when you say the whole lake is frozen over, obviously Blue Mesa is a huge body of water, even with the current water levels, and we can talk about that in a minute. But some of it freezes early, and some of it probably just froze in the last few weeks. What kind of ice thickness, and how much does it vary? Sure. So the, the upper third of the lake usually freezes kind of mid-December. 
and the ice depth there now is approaching three feet thick, um, coupled with about 10 to 12 inches of snow on top. So we're recommending if you have an extension for your auger and you want to fish the upper end, you're probably going to need it. From Elk Creek out across the Savoia Basin to about the middle bridge, like the middle third of the lake, usually it'll freeze up around the end of January. So we're three weeks or so into that being froze up now. And as you can imagine, with 20 below temps, once it caps, it gets thick fast. So most reports across the Savoia Basin are 20 to 24 inches of ice. And then the 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 far third down by the dam, Sapinero Basin, is always the last section to freeze, and we're about two weeks into that now. But again, with these cold temps, most ice thickness reports from that end of the lake are 12 inches plus everywhere across that end of the lake now. And, you know, as always, we always recommend caution, even on thick, thick ice, because pressure ridges and things can develop. Although Blue Mesa is a pretty solid fishery, just be careful anytime, anywhere you're on the ice. Uh, when you're heading out there, any particular areas of the lake, that does because it freezes in, in areas, do you get kind of a first ice or an early ice effect, or does the whole lake kind of follow a pattern? It pretty much progresses very quickly. Like, say, once it caps, there's not really a of defining line of new versus old and the fishing doesn't really follow suit that way either. Sometimes the early ice on the upper third seems like it's better just because we're all so excited and it all gets fished really hard right when it first freezes. But that upper end of the lake, even, you know, a month and a half into being frozen is still one of the most productive areas of the whole lake to go catch trout in particular and perch. Um, now, Sometimes our our big lake trout will start feeling a little bit of pressure when people first start fishing them when a place freezes, but that usually dissipates in a couple weeks too. So, Before we get into the actual what the bite's like and what's going on, how is the water level and snow? Are you getting – I know we're early in the season, and we won't know until April, but is there some optimism about the amount of snow and the water level? Yeah, great point. We're off to a great start for snowpack and water content. Um, we've been hovering around 140, 150% average most of the winter. Uh, we just had these two good storms come through this week, and we've got another three-day system coming early next week. So, so long as our spring kind of holds up and we don't lose it to early snowmelt, we're as of right now, they're projecting Blue Mesa to fill to 70%. Um, currently, we're sitting about 35% of capacity. So we wow, are very optimistic on water. Yeah. That's a lot. And then how long will the ice? Now, you, as you start getting that runoff, obviously the lake comes up. It could degrade some of the areas by shore. but And we won't know how, what the weather is going to be like. But typically, how late into the spring can you fish Blue Mesa? So typically we we probably still have at least a month of really good ice. And once we start hitting the middle of March, it's a little bit weather dependent how cautious we need to be. Um, but it's not uncommon for us to still find accessible, fishable 
ice into like the first week of April. So can definitely plan on another month of ice fishing up here, and then we'll kind of keep an eye on things as we move from there. Okay, let's talk about current conditions. You and I talked a little bit early in the week, and I wasn't drinking a Mai Tai. It was, it was wine, just so you know. Ah. But, <laughs> but um, you said the fishing's actually been good, but it's been a little different. Let's start with the lake trawl. We'll get to some of the other species. You said uh, you're, you're actually having pretty good luck on bigger fish, but the small pups have been a little difficult to find. Is that still the case? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting dynamic, and, you know, the big lake trout are still doing what big lake trout do in this lake, which primarily is hunting rainbows and salmon in the winter, which are usually found in that 20 to 40-foot range. So that's still been pretty predictable and holding up really good. Now, the puff lake trout historically have always had a really easy winter up here with the introduction of perch and the reason for that is those perch would always winter really deep and right along with the lake trout like 60 80 feet deep so those pups had a great time all winter long just cruising around eating at will basically so what changed last year and this year and i think it's got a lot to do with water level is these perch now are wintering a lot shallower we're still catching perch and hearing a lot of reports about really good perch fishing still very shallow like 10 to 20 foot deep so what they've done is that that big food source is kind of separated out from where those pup lake trout typically have been and so it seems like those pups are having to roam a lot more or move really shallow to find the food source that they need to get through the winter so that's just it's made it a little bit harder to stay on top of some of these big groups of pups because they're having to be a lot more nomadic than what we've been used to. Normally, you could find a hump or a point end in like 60 or 80 foot of water and reliably have 20 or 30 pups stacked up on that spot all day long. And now those fish are having to move off of those humps and points up into real shallow water and feed and then migrate back out to a little bit deeper water where they're they're resting more than feeding so it has changed the lake trout fishing a little bit yeah now uh, one interesting dynamic that would make i love to fish for perch through the ice so i would imagine if you can locate those perch you might end up catching a few of those pup lake trout right while you're perch fishing absolutely and we've heard a, a lot of that guys will be on a school of perch and while we're talking about perch a little bit, what the areas you're going to want to look for is they really like the most vertical structure in this lake that you can find. And so cliff walls, like car house-sized boulder-type rocks is where we're finding most of these big pods of perch, but shallow, which actually kind of works in the lake trout's advantage because those types of structure are typically next to real deep water where they're going to rest. And so, yes, there's been a lot of lake trout caught on perch gear. So when you're out perch fishing with your ultralights and your little hooks, make sure you got your drags adjusted right because at any time there can be a four or five, five pound lake trout come blowing in there to eat your perch and grab a hold of your jig and you got to be ready for it because that's definitely been happening. 
But yeah, we should uh, let people know. We say pup lake trout. These are still nice fish and the ones we recommend you keep, right? Tell them about the size of the pups. Yeah, pups are still big trout. Um, uh, typically, our smallest lake trout that we'll even see are 16 to 18 inches, and we still consider them juveniles or pups all the way up to like 25 or 26 inch long fish, which in this lake can be you know, upwards of seven or eight pounds. And so once those fish get to that size, they'll, their whole dynamic changes in order for them to build weight and maintain that kind of size. They just have to move to much bigger prey, like suckers, salmon, rainbow trout, stuff like that. So their feeding patterns change dramatically once they hit that seven or eight pound range. So that's kind of where we draw the line on a pup-sized fish, which is still a big trout. And you're right, in order to kind of maintain what we've got here now as a trophy lake trout fishery, because we really want to control that population of those pups just to make sure there's enough of that bigger food source to go around for the real big lake trout. So we're still recommending people keep those pups as much as yeah, they want to. And they are really good to eat fish, too. Oh, yeah. And when we talk about big lake trout, you got to remember, folks, that Blue Mace has pr- produced state record fish up to 50 pounds. So there's some big fish. We only got a couple minutes left, Andy. Let's talk a little bit about the other species in the lake. The, you talked a little bit about the perch. They're doing well there. What about the rainbows and browns? Yeah, rainbows and browns are still probably the most reliable fish to catch on this lake day in and day out. They're you want to target them anywhere from 15 to 40 feet, and pretty much any bay or sandy flat that transitions into some rocks, you're going to find trout in all those areas anywhere across this whole lake. And we're still seeing that really positive trend on these wild rainbows that we have here. The population is big, and they're healthy, beautiful-looking rainbows apparently resistant to the gill lice that we've had issues with with our salmon. So the rainbow trout fishing is really a highlight still at this point up here. And then the one last fish to talk about, of course, is kokanee salmon. Um, They've pretty well been ghosting most anglers this winter. Typically, you, you have random schools of salmon come under your hole kind of regardless of where you're fishing or what you're fishing for. But now that the west end of the lake has frozen up and people are starting to access more stuff on that end, we're starting to finally see some pretty positive reports on the salmon fishing end of things. It seems like the bigger population of them has been residing on the far west end of the lake most of winter. So if guys want to target salmon this winter, I would recommend fishing that Sapinero Basin. And really anywhere along the main river channel out there, You'll find those fish cruising around, but we're starting to finally see some numbers of those coming out now. All right, we have to run, Andy. If people want more information or book a trip with you guys, how do they find you? Yeah, check us out at gsofishing.com or at gsofishing on all the major social channels, and we'd be happy to answer questions or help you out any way we can. All right, my friend, we will talk to you again very soon. Thanks, Andy. All right, thank you. Goodbye. You bet. Andy Cochran, great, great people. And that Blue Mace is just still a gem, even though it's down 
if you're a destination ice fisherman trying to get in a couple of those trips of the year, yeah, put it in your uh, bucket list and go fish there. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to talk about some parks and wildlife uh, rangers and officers who have been uh, honored for what they've done both in their uh, in uh, with for valor and what they've contributed on on the job. So we'll we'll be back with more of that on Terry Wicksham Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. To Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Uh, Jack's has they have locations up and down the Front Range. If you're an outdoor enthusiast and you've never shopped at a Jack's Outdoor Gear, go in and walk around, kick the tires. You're going to be amazed not only by the quality merchandise, the selection of merchandise, but the uh, information you can get from the people that work there. They're true outdoor enthusiasts themselves. Let's go to the phones, and joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Joy Livingston. Good morning, Joy. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, we're going to talk today about um, the employees of Colorado Parks and Wildlife. A number of them were just honored, and I kind of want to set the stage for this by talking about it. I think a lot of times we don't think in terms of Colorado Parks and Wildlife employees as first responders but they truly are. I mean, a number of positions are law enforcement positions in addition to their other duties. And almost all parks and wildlife officers and employees who are in the field could end up being a first responder, whether it's in a park or a wilderness area. So they really need to be trained and certified in all those types of activities, don't they? Yeah, that's correct. So um, we have, you know, Colorado Parks and Wildlife uh, manages the wildlife in Colorado along with the state parks in Colorado. And so we have uh, park rangers for the parks and district wildlife managers for uh, managing the wildlife. And uh, both of those job classes are uh, post-certified first responders. Um, they go through the same law enforcement training um, that police officers do. And in a lot of cases, um, especially in rural areas, uh, they can be the first on the scene um, to a lot of emergency situations and can be called upon to assist um, general law enforcement um, situations as well. Well, I know even here in Larimer County, where I live, um, a number of parks people end up working with the sheriff's departments and things when they need extra personnel, whether it's whether it's a search or there's uh, some kind of a crime situation going on where they need more people. They, they, they're there to help. And uh, sometimes we don't recognize that. Well, Parks and Wildlife recognizes it. You, uh, you look at some of the things that the duties performed by these people over the course of a year, and you have awards that you give out, and those awards just recently came out. Tell us about those. Yeah, so it's, you know, important for us to, you know, make sure that we're honoring the sacrifices that um, those officers are, and rangers are, are putting in. You know, a lot of, in some cases, they're, you know, putting their lives on the line um, to save people. And, you know, that's, you know, just in addition to their other job duties as well that they have in managing the parks and managing the wildlife. Um, so we did uh, issue quite a few awards um, this year. Um, to several of our officers. And uh, um, the first one I, I have to talk about is Ian Petcash. Um, so he is a, a district wildlife manager up in Southeast Park County, and he was awarded the John D. Hart Wildlife Officer of the Year Award this year. And and what does then, and what, is there a particular 
something he did or is it just his overall duties or how, how was he, you know, chosen? Yeah, for Ian this year, that was, that's kind of an overall, um, uh, you know, overall award. Um, so he assisted with uh, multiple felony and misdemeanor poaching cases. Um, doing investigations into poaching is a big part of what our wildlife officers do. And those are, you know, full-on law enforcement cases where they, um, you know, bring charges against those folks and um, go through the trial process. Uh, but Ian uh, was also involved with obtain- obtaining 15 uh, search and arrest warrants this year. And he's one of our three officers that has a, um, a canine as well as part of our canine program. Um, so him and his canine, Samson, um, are very important for um, running some of our check stations or field searches, um, helping to, uh, to issue search warrants. Um, so Samson, uh, the canine, is trained to um, sniff out uh, different wildlife parts um, to help um, assist in those uh, investigations. Now, we won't be able to list everybody. We'll list a couple more here in a second that got awards. But what I did do, you sent me a news release, and I posted that on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook, folks. So if you want to go read the names of the people that were honored in their positions, I've got that up on social media already. So please take a look. You know, in addition to law enforcement, these people are, I'm sure, CPR trained and and life-saving trained. And they're also probably first aid trained. Well, who are a couple maybe of the other winners you'd like to mention? Yeah, I think one that sticks out to me is um, uh, District Wildlife Manager Todd Kozad. He was given our Medal of Valor Award. And so he uh, actually responded to a rural house fire um, in October um, of last year. And uh, he was the first one on the scene. And when he arrived, um, a wife was outside of the home um, telling him that her husband was still inside the house. And so, uh, you know, Todd, you know, putting his life on the line, um, crawled into the house under the smoke and uh, found the man and drug him outside and began CPR um, before medical crews arrived. Um, and that one touches me particularly because... Um, I was in a house fire when I was younger, and just uh, the thought of him, you know, crawling into that house and putting his life on the line like that is just very touching and just honored to work with with someone that uh, is that brave to be able to do that. Yeah, and, you know, these awards, uh, singling these people out, they certainly deserve it, and we want to honor them. We also want to mention that a lot of the stuff that goes on, these people do on a daily basis. We have some incidents down in Pueblo. I think some of those officers are being recognized. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you ask these officers, most of them will tell you that they're just doing their job. Um, but, you know, putting your life on the line like that, you know, does take take something special. And, uh, you know, Lake Pueblo um, this year um, had quite a few incidents on water. And one of particular note um, was uh, happened in May of last year. Um, Officer Joe Porteous and one of our Sentinel Rangers, Seth Herndon, um, got a call of a capsized boat um, on a windy day at Pueblo. And uh, they arrived on the scene to find uh, 12 people in the water. Many of them were children um, screaming for help, um, children as young as age four. And, uh, you know, they tried to call to shore for help, but it was so windy that day they weren't able to to get uh, any assistance, and they just jumped straight to action, um, pulling people into their boat. They actually overloaded their own boat with people to make sure that they um, got as many people out of the water as possible. And um, so 11 people um, survived that day. 
that, you know, if our officers weren't able to get there quickly enough, um, you know, quite possibly, you know, some of those people wouldn't have made it. And the last comment I want to make before we run out of time here is that you also honored people who just, um, I think maybe the park ranger or park manager of the year, things like that, um, who just work hard and go above and beyond to provide these great outdoor resources for people and just shine at doing their job. And we certainly don't want to overlook those people either. Yeah, correct. Um, so the park manager at Lake Pueblo State Park um, won our Outstanding Ranger of the Year Award. And so he oversaw um, the rangers that uh, made a lot of um, rescues at Lake Pueblo that year, saving over a dozen people. And uh, he's a founding member of our MERT team. It's a marine evidence recovery team, um, which is, you know, very important. Uh, you know, they go all across the state um, recovering uh, victims uh, from drowning. And uh, um, Joe has been uh, um, credited with recovering over 60 bodies since that program began in 2009, which, you know, it's very important to make sure, you know, we're recovering those bodies quickly for um, the peace of mind of the families. Yeah, and this, we've got some great people to work with CPW, and like anybody that interacts with the public, you'll probably find times when somebody, you know, didn't like their interaction, but that's usually because they were doing something wrong. But what we haven't got time to mention anymore, jo Joey, but what we do, I took the news release you sent me. It's up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook, people. It's just a short article. Go give it a read and listen to those names and understand what some of these people do for you. Joey, last comment. Yeah, I would just say, um, you know, water safety is super important. A lot of these officers were, were responding to water um, safety issues where people weren't wearing life jackets. So I would just encourage folks to, to wear your life jackets when you're out there. You know, our officers and rangers will, you know, they go out there and they save people all the time. But this, you know, not they can't save everyone. And this does take a mental toll on those folks. And so, you know, try to do your best to make sure that you're uh, taking the water seriously and make sure you wear a life jacket if you're out there. All right, my friend, thank you. Great uh, great segment, great people. Um, again, it's up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Thank you, Joey. Thank you very much. You bet. Joey Livingston with Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to change things up, and we're going to talk fly fishing, both in the field and indoors at the show, on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. A tequila sunrise, huh? The Eagles. I like the Eagles, and I like the thought of that sunrise. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right to the phones. And he didn't get back from a tequila sunrise that long ago. Chris Steinbeck from the Blue Quill Angler. Good morning, Chris. Hey, good morning, Terry. How are you? Did you have a little tequila sunrise down there in Belize? Only every morning. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I miss it, too. We'll talk about that more later. What I want to do with you, we've got the fly show going on. I want to talk a little bit about taking trips. But right now, we're, we're going to have three or four days of really great weather. Now, people need to get down to the fly show. We'll talk about that in a minute. But there's going to be some great opportunities on the river. And then the weather's changing. We're going to get to see the trends as it transitions. But what are you seeing or hearing right now? Yeah, you bet. So we are um, on the rivers. We're definitely seeing you know, our wintertime conditions. Um, and as you mentioned, what we look for in the winter days are those warmer sections. You know, you get those three, four, five days of that 40, 50 degree weather. 
Um, that's a great time to get out to the river. You'll see a few more fish feeding that time. Um, generally speaking, Terry, you know, the winter fishing, um, it's hit or miss. So when you can pick those nice days, you stack those odds in your favor. Um, you know, you still think of going small on your flies. We've been fishing a lot on the South Platte down by Deckers. That's a great winter fishery. Um, the Arkansas River down below Plubo is another really solid winter fishery as well. And so on these nice stretches, um, don't forget about fly fishing. It is still a great time to be out there. You don't, you can get away from some of the heavy summertime crowds that we see this time of year. Um, and even on the colder days, it's nice to be out there. So it's, you know, it's February, but I tell you, it's still a great time to be out standing in a river. Uh, some of my best fly fishing has happened in February, uh, where those fish are stacked up. Um, they get in the deeper pools, and because there's a, sometimes a lot of them in a pool, they're not as spooky. And uh, I'd be a little careful. You can fall hook a lot of fish when they're stacked like that. So be a little careful how you handle fish and return them. But there's no reason, and I also find, and you'll probably agree with this, that on some of the days when it turns a little bad, you get some of the best hatches. You do. You do. You get that kind of overcast storm kind of coming in, um, pressure's dropping, and you can get some great midge hatches this time of year. You know, like I was saying, we, we, try to, we try to target the small flies. And just like you said, that slower, deeper pools where there's not a lot of fast currents coming in. Um, but it's also, it's a great time of year to think outside the box. You know, if you're not a huge fan of throwing those little tiny flies, Throw a little woolly bugger. Throw a little smaller streamer. Same run, same in the sl- uh, same slower, deeper pools, and maybe a little softer retrieve than what you would do in the warmer months. But um, streamer fishing could be fantastic right now too. I, I couldn't agree more. I love to change it up and throw a streamer, mostly because I can't see well enough to tie those little flies on my line. <laughs> but but I, I love to throw streamers, and even it kind of relates to when we're conventional fishing. A lot of times when the fishing is slow, people think slow down, get more precise. But sometimes something that's active and moving just elicits that um, reaction strike where the fish aren't even necessarily feeding. They just they know something went by, reminds them of a big meal and they just react. And sometimes you can get that and streamers can be incredibly effective. And, you know, in places like Pueblo, down below the dam through town there, I've fished streamers, and I've caught not only trout, but I'll catch smallmouth bass and walleyes, and I even caught a 20-pound catfish down there once. Oh, that's fantastic. That's so much yeah. fun. Yeah. Let's, so I think the message is if you're getting cabin fever and don't want to go indoors, there's still fishing to be had. The weather's going to be changing middle of the week. It's going to be on and off. So kind of pick your days, pick your style of fishing. And make sure the river you're going to fish, that there's open, on-iced water running in the areas you want to fish. But there are lots of opportunities. I always call the Blue Quill Angler. You guys give them an update immediately, right? Oh, yeah. We'll tell you. You'll tell you great access points, what's really reliable in the winter, different flies to try, anything we can do to help. Call us. We can help you plan your day. Now, let's change it up a little bit. You're at the fly show. It's on yet today and tomorrow. Um. I was going to try to get down there, but things are getting in the way. But tell people you're down at the uh, where it's at and how it's going and what's, what's, what they see down there. You bet. So we are at the Gaylord, Gaylord Hotel out by the airport. It's the second year the show's been down here, and it's a beautiful convention hall. It's nice and clean. Um, yesterday was opening day, and we had such a huge turnout here at the show. Um, Terry, as you know, we travel around 
the whole country with this show, and everyone around the country talks about Denver, 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 Denver. And this has turned into one of the biggest fly fishing shows, not just in the country, but anywhere around you'll find. Um, it is, there's a ton of big names here in our industry. Uh, there's presentations going on on different fisheries all over Colorado and all over the United States, for that matter. Um, there's some of the best shops in Colorado are here from north to south, east to west. Um, it's such a fun atmosphere. Um, it's, you know, the turnout, like I said, has been so heavy. There's so many people here, and it makes it such a fun atmosphere. Um, it's great opportunity, folks, to come down, talk. Um, come meet some of the guys in the shop you talk to on the phone or meet some of the people you see writing the books. And um, We are really excited for another great day today and tomorrow. Today it goes from, you know, it's open right now. Uh, they think it closed down at 5 p.m. today. And then tomorrow I think it opens up at 9 a.m. and goes down to 4.30 p.m. tomorrow. Now I'll list a few of the people who are going to be at the show. Ron Bellick, Gary Borger. Dave Blackburn, Frank Burr, Mac Brown, Pat Dorsey. I've heard of him. You know him? Pat Dorsey. <laughs> I I, I, I've heard of that Pat guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I've heard Taylor, of him twice. Taylor Edrington, Ed Engel, Tim Flagg. I mean, Landon Mayer will be there. Uh, Brian O'Keefe. You know, Brian O'Keefe and I were up in Antioch, Alaska at the same time. That's how we first met. And, oh, um, and so this legend. Yeah, there's just, uh, just going to be a, it's a great place to go. And, you know, another thing you'll find at these fly shows, and that's what I kind of want to transition to, is the fact that we are in that it's the slower, it's the less reliable time of the year. The weather changes so much. People get cabin fever. A lot of times fly fishermen will be in tying flies and occasionally a good day. But as you just found out recently in a trip to Belize, this is a great time to take a trip get away from here and try something else, get away from the weather and go on one of these trips. And you just did that. Kind of tell us about your trip and and let us know if there's trips available at the show. Yeah, you bet. So I went down there with my girlfriend last week. We went down to Belize and we went down the very southern part of Belize in town of Punta Gorda. And we had such an incredible time. You know, for us, it's a great time of year because we can get away from the snow and the cold and we can go put our feet in the sand. Um, the fishing opportunities are fantastic, both fly fishing and conventional down in Belize. Um, uh, you know, a lot of the trophy fish, a lot of tarpon and permit and bonefish down there. Um, I can't say enough great things about the people of Belize and how welcoming they are. Um, there's just so many good aspects that come from traveling around, not just fishing, but just the opportunities that it presents, um, almost like an adventure. And so, here at the show, you'll find booths that are, you know, from Belize and from, you know, different parts of Central America and all over the Caribbean. And just they're here to teach you about different opportunities all the way around that it's just fun to get out, experience a different culture, and uh, go do a style of fishing that we don't get to do here in the landlocked states. Um, but, uh, yeah. Is it, do you have a recommendation? Somebody's booking. Now, I went down to the other side of Ascension Bay up on the Mexican side out of Tulum. And uh, one of the things you mentioned, both flying conventional fishing, we were actually down there to film a television show and we concentrated on the fly fishing. We didn't get the best weather. We probably would have done better a couple of days if we would have conventional fished. So it doesn't hurt to have a spinning rod with you, but we caught lots of fish. One of the things I found in that area, Ascension Bay, like say compared to the Bahamas, 
is there were a lot of fish, but not as many huge ones, but the action was steady when it came to the bonefish. You're right about yep. the permit and the tarp, and those are the, down there. But is there a mistake people make when they get ready for one of these trips? Is there a skill level they should practice? Is there a certain type of gear they should try to use or get used to before they go? Yeah, you know, for us, we're used to fishing in rivers and a lot of heavy currents in rivers that we use the currents to present our flies to the fish. Out in the saltwater, especially in the fly world, you're casting at fish that are moving. And so understanding your cast is really, really important before you go on these trips. Uh, there's too many people that we talk to that they go down to Mexico or Belize and they have this great trip and they're so excited for it, but they don't practice their cast. They don't really gear up for that trip at all. And they end up using a lot of their trip just trying to get their cast in order to catch a fish. And so my biggest advice to anybody, both conventional and fly fishing, is accuracy is far more important than distance. And if you can practice and practice um, the weeks leading up to your trip, then you get down to your trip and you have a great time and you're getting going from the start. You know, you're accurate. You have a good chance of catching way more fish. Um, so that would be my biggest advice. Work on the accuracy. You don't have to cast it too far. Just try to be as accurate as you possibly can. Well, you know, another thing, too, you know, around here, you can get away with a lot of mistakes casting a three- or four-weight broad and, you know, on a small stream. But when you're trying to make a cast, and you're probably seven, eight, even nine or ten-weight rods down there, it's a whole different feel, isn't it? You know what? That's such a great point. It is because we're so the fours and the fives and three weights. Those are really lightweight fly rods that we use here for trout. And you go out to the ocean, you are using a lot of eight weights and nine weights and ten weights and eleven weights if you're going for bigger tarpon. That's a much heavier rod, and that takes a little bit of getting used to. And uh, and that's where yeah, keep practicing. Um, and that's something that here at the shop at the Blue Quill, we're always happy to help you with. You come up, we'll go out back, we'll go cast, and we can help fine tune and find some mistakes that you're making and help try to correct those for your trip. All right. We are out of time, my friend, but if people can't get out to the Gaylord to see you today and tomorrow, tell them how they find the Blue Quill Angler. You bet. You guys can find us online at www.bluequillangler.com. We're going to have a brand-new website that launches this coming Wednesday. It's going to be fantastic and a ton of good fishing information on there. You can always call us up at the shop at 303 674 4700. Um, we'll be up there. We're there to answer questions on flies or access, like I was mentioning earlier. Or if you just want to talk about fishing, call us. That's what we're here for. Um, yeah, we're doing a lot on social media, too. Follow us at the Blue Quill Angler on Facebook and Instagram. And, um, and we look forward, Terry, to another two days here at the show and then a great end of the winter, early spring fishing here coming up. All right, my friend, we are out of time. We will talk again very soon. Have a great show. Hey, thank you very much, Terry. You guys take care. You bet. Chris Steinbeck from the Blue Quill Angler. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to start talking. Oh, it's worth some more conventional, some ice fishing, a hint of open water, and turkey hunting. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. And we're going to transition things here back to the hard water in just a minute. But a couple things I want to talk about after we got done talking to Chris. One is trips. Um, you know, if you're an avid outdoorsman, whether you're a hunter, an angler, you like hiking, you like wildlife watching, 
you like just sightseeing or just love communing with nature, uh, getting outdoors year-round could be fun. We have a lot of great winter activities in Colorado. We're going to talk some more ice fishing. A lot of times we talk snowshoeing here. But if you do want to get outdoors, you know, this is kind of that time of the year when a few people's enthusiasm for ice fishing is fading. The fly fishermen are really wanting the streams to open up more. The hikers are looking for a little warmer weather and the campers. You know, if you're an angler, a trip to some place like Louisiana for the redfish right now or Florida for snook and uh, and redfish and just a number of species, whether conventional or fly, both can be just tremendous. You get a little warmer weather, you kind of rejuvenate. Uh, and a lot of the local shops and places can help set you up with guide services. If you ask them, they'll know somebody. But do a little research online and have a great trip. You, know, you might create that memory during this, you know, time of the year. Football season is over. You're not quite getting out to what you want to do. So take advantage of that. But do it by planning properly. Uh, the best thing with the trip, uh, Chris hit on it, be ready. Whatever kind of trip you're taking, talk to the people where you're going. Find out what it takes and become comfortable that you're ready to go and have a good time. Just This is just a wonderful time of the year to do that. We get some good weather here in Colorado, but we also get some uh, a little shaky weather yet this time of the year. And that brings me now, we're going to see a few things happening. We're going to see more warm spells, and we'll see some cold spells. We're going to get a cold spell in the middle of this week, but it's going to be in the 50s for the next couple of days. And what that's going to do, now up in the mountains, we're going to have good ice probably for another month, and it won't change as quickly up there. But we've had a pretty good ice season here on the Front Range. We're going to talk about that more, by the way, in the next couple segments. Nate Zielinski and Austin Parr are going to join us. But the um, we're going to start seeing this snow that falls off and on now, and some of the residual snow in the lower elevations is going to start to melt, and that will start flowing into the shores of the lakes and in the rivers that we have here that's going to change the fishing. It's going to do a couple things. One, it could make ice unstable. So be extremely careful, going, especially going on and off the lakes. And as you're out there, if conditions change, don't take any chances. But that also can provide some of the best fishing of the year. Um, as that water seeps under the ice, especially by shore, the, it starts reoxygenating the water. And that gets the bug life going under there, and that gets the bait fish life going, and that brings the predator fish, and they start moving shallow, whether it's walleyes or trout or whatever it is, or bass. They're going to start moving around a little bit, especially as that little bit warmer, little oxygenated water flows in. Of course, eventually that leads to where you've got open water you can fish before a lake is uh, even, well, it still has ice on it. Well, you can't maybe access that out in the middle of the lake. You can't put a boat out, but you can have some great shore fishing. So we're going to cover a lot of that coming up, too. But things are going to change, and you can have some great outings. First, safety is always number one. But by paying attention to these conditions, and we're going to talk a little bit about that in the next couple segments, because as the weather fluctuates and gets steadily warmer, we're going to see opportunities for some of the best fishing of the year and also some of the worst outings of the year because it can shut down really quickly. So we're going to talk about that a lot in the next hour coming up. First, we're going to take a quick time out. We're going to take you to Nate Zielinski's 
uh, ice fishing tournament on Grand Lake and get an update there, and we'll probably get a mountain ice fishing update at the same time. And then we're going to talk some other fishing opportunities before we get to some turkey hunting with J.R. Pierce. All that and more coming up in the next hour of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.